You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. Hi, I'm Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the Honors College at UNLV and the Boyd School of Law. I'm Lana Weatherald. I'm a third-year law student. And welcome to Social Justice. Social Justice, a conversation. A conversation. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Social Justice, a conversation with me, Lana Weatherald, a third-year law student here at UNLV's William S. Boyd School of Law. I'm joined alongside Professor Charles Stanton, who is also a professor at William S. Boyd School of Law, but teaches at the Honors College at UNLV as well. We're happy you're joining us again. Um, Tonight, we've got a whole plethora of topics. We're mostly staying on the political side of things. Um, And with that, I would like to have the professor open it up with our first topic. Yes, thank you, Lana. Well, the the first topic uh, has to do with Twitter and uh, the fact that uh, since the takeover of Twitter and the elimination of a lot of jobs and the uh, elimination of a lot of jobs related to uh, uh, content you know, um, verification and protection of uh, protection of children primarily, uh, we're seeing a lot of inappropriate, illegal stuff on Twitter that really doesn't seem to be being addressed. And uh, I, I really don't understand how this major uh, uh, social media network cannot regulate content in such a way uh, that, that young people are being protected. And uh, I'm sure this is not the first time that you know this issue has raised itself, but uh, in, in one of the articles I was reading recently, um, there's been, there seems to be an alarming increase in it. And uh, uh, although I am not a uh, computer savant, uh, I, I, am, I am sure from what I do know that uh, the people who put this stuff out they can be taken off. It's a question of whether or not um, the people who run the uh, operation uh, have the will and the energy to do it. Well, we're not even sure how many and who are running this operation, right? All that we do know is a lot, the vast majority, I would argue, of people who knew how the logistics of Twitter operated, ran, how they functioned, right? The interworkings of the kind of things you and I would never begin to understand are gone. Um, and so what do you have? You know, so the professor's mentioning that this is an issue for, you know, child sex abuse and things that are completely inappropriate where children are concerned. But this is that's not the only issue, right? You're having copyright and materials that are on Twitter. You're having people that were previously banned from Twitter because of the views and the dangerous things they espoused are now back on. Um, or there, there's ways to now circumvent certain features that were never circumventable. I mean, this is not, yeah, Twitter is a wholesale problem at this point, but I, I, this is to be expected. When you have a guy who doesn't know what the heck he's doing, come in and replace a bunch of people who do know what the heck they're doing, this is the result. Um, Twitter's always been kind of a, a cesspool, and my, my favorite social media cesspool, let me just throw that in there, but it is a cesspool nonetheless. Um, so, I, you know, when you have a cesspool like that go unregulated, this is, I'm not surprised that this is our result. Um, Facebook's no better, but Instagram's no better. But now it's just, uh, I'm glad Elon's um, a face to blame. Yeah. <laughs> Quite frankly, because, I mean, how do you just get rid of all the people that know anything? Yeah. I, I wonder, you know, I wonder if the, the, that particular issue of protecting children uh, is a priority with these different uh, uh, social media engines. Or is, oh, yeah. it, or is it something where they, they 
give lip service to it, but it's not something that's at the top of their list. What I think happened with Elon is he was trying to make this larger point about like everybody in tech is unnecessary. We overhire in tech. Big tech corporations have too many needless, useless people and let's fire them all. And, you know, his point wasn't proven. And I think, unfortunately, this was just probably the most sinister result Mm -hmm. of such a stupid choice or such a, you know, dumb point he was trying to make. Um, So I don't think it's so much that they're trying to provide lip service. It's that this was just the most sinister result of the dumbest choice this guy could have made, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it, it, it is interesting, though, that in a society um, that you know uh, basically denies women the right to uh, have bodily autonomy and talks about it talks about the unborn, uh, what happens after the children are born, and what does society do to protect those children? Uh, and in many ways, that protection uh, seems to be very deficient. So yeah, there's um, no protection. It's give the kid an iPad and send him on Elon's Twitter. Yeah, that's, that's the protection. Well, that's exactly that's exactly what it is. Um, and of course, uh, you know, uh, the uh, uh, acceleration of this problem because we have we have in our country basically an abuse problem uh, that that goes through many different organizations far beyond Twitter. Uh, and uh, the Congress uh, seems uh, very low to get involved in actually trying to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, this is in the church. This is unfortunately in our schools. This is in a lot of our penal institutions. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is all over. It's all over. It's all over. So, so that's, our, that's our entranceway. <laughs> right. And then, <laughs> then, uh, then uh, perhaps in a completely different venue, a very interesting article about uh, those people who become uh, clerks on the Supreme Court. And uh, I always knew, of course, that there was a hierarchy. Right. There's, a, you know, there's right. Harvard and Yale and, you know. Uh, then Stanford. Stanford, and then, yeah. University of Chicago, Columbia. But a very fascinating article that I read, uh, which, of course, uh, completely knocks the idea of diversity and egalitarianism completely out of the box. Right. Um, that um, there's one set of standard for those people who become clerks. And the vast majority of the people who become clerks go to either Stanford, University of Chicago, Columbia, Harvard, or Yale. Well, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so no one, no one can get, get in. But it's even more refined than that. So you could still, if you went to Harvard, wow. Yale, Law, Chicago, Stanford, Columbia, you still might not get in unless, unless you went to either Princeton, Harvard, or Yale undergrad. I... So you have to, you have to, you know, blue blood through and through. You have to. I mean, even if you sold your soul <laughs> right. to get into the law school, and even if you were magna cum laude well, right. at the top of your writing class in the, the journal, right? Didn't matter. It's not a guarantee unless you did Princeton, <laughs> Harvard, and Yale. And what's interesting about this whole thing is that of the there's nine justices on the Supreme Court. There's three Democrats and there's six Republicans. And eight of the nine were clerks on the Supreme Court. Eight of the nine. And 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 the I guess and and six of them went to Harvard or Yale Law School. So so how do you how do you <laughs> right. get 
any kind <laughs> diversity of diversity like, at all. Diversity at they all. They all got taught the same con law class. They all yeah. know this. I mean, quite yeah. literally. Wow. Um, and you know what? I just from personal experience, you know, UNLV, the law school that we're recording um, from, and the the one that I go to school at and the professor teaches at, is a very middling law school as far as rankings are concerned. Um, there is not one of us that has the dream of clerking for this. And we know better. We know just going out of a middling law school that that's not even an option for us. I've never heard one of my peers, and there are a lot of my peers, uh, that have any interest or knowledge or belief that they will clerk for the Supreme Court at any point in their career. Um, it is what it is. You know, it is very much that. You know that you're not the cream of the crop, and that's designed for a certain cream of the crop kid, if it's sick as it is. But you know you know something? I think I – think in many ways, how grossly unfair that is. Because I would argue we have students in my this law school at UNLV that would run circles around some of those kids at Harvard, at Yale, whether that be in the courtroom or whether that be in transactional law, whether that be in a negotiation, whatever that may be. But I, I fully believe we have children that here – I shouldn't call them children, but we have, you know, mm. legal professionals here that would run circles around kids in Harvard and Yale and it, you know, yeah. they'll never see the light of day in the way they will. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had the privilege of teaching here for a few years and I have had um, some outstanding students. I say yeah. outstanding uh, in every way. Right. And uh, I, it, it's really unfortunate because uh, it was interesting, you know, um, the, when uh, when you watch MSNBC, they have uh, Professor La- Lawrence Tribe on, mm-hmm. and Lawrence Tribe is you know he's he's like a what would you call him an iconic figure right. in the teaching of uh, constitutional law. And I love Lawrence Tribe; he's a brilliant guy and all the rest of it. And he comes on, and you know he taught he taught uh, uh, all these different people. He taught the Attorney General. He taught the, the, the Sub Attorney General. Right. But in a sense, though. It's like an and it's it's like an exclusivity. Mm-hmm. It's like that maybe they should be taught by more than just one person. In other words, that 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 the reference to to being on a on a on a on a court diverse or, body, quote unquote, is that maybe there are other voices that need to be heard on these subjects. Mm-hmm. I when I was going to law school, there was a the woman that taught there. And um, she was a torts professor. Right. And um, her, her teacher was Prosser. Prosser, Prosser was, wrote, uh, writes the books, he wrote guys, the if bo- you don't know. He writes the, the books. He writes the books. And his, he, you know, it goes back to some, maybe the Middle Ages. Right. You know, but it really has very little to do with, with I just say diversity, but differences of opinion. Getting people in there from different schools, from different from different. Uh, upbringings. Right, because there is, you know, I don't want to make a sweeping generalization here. There are very few of the Supreme Court justices that went to Harvard or Yale in history that I think had to work a part-time job to put themselves through, mm. that had to, you know, have boots on the ground, that had to know other people, that had to shake hands they would have never otherwise been shake if their father didn't introduce mm. them to them. You know, I think there was a lot of, yeah, obviously kids that go to Harvard and Yale and students that go to Harvard and Yale are very, uh, different. They have to be different by the nature of what that program demands and by the nature of how you have to get in um, than what I think even the average person ever could be yeah. and ever is capable of. And so how is that representative? How is that a diverse body if they're all from there? Right. I, yeah, yeah. I, I think the professor makes a great and valid point. Um, and it's hard. It's, it's interesting to consider that 
the vast majority of the people sitting on the, you know, most important court in our country were probably all taught the exact same con law class or probably all taught mm-hmm. in the exact same way from the exact same books in the exact same manner. And yeah, yeah. How yeah. are we going to ever yeah. invoke meaningful change if they don't know any different? Yeah, yeah. And that lead, that leads, of course, into this into this other topic we're going to talk about today, which is the college boards. And um the college boards for a number of years was trying to uh, put together uh, an advanced placement course on African-American studies. And they had basically the input of so many people, scholars in, in who were experts in the field, right. uh, Henry Louis Gates. There were, there were a lot of them. Right. And uh, there was a lot of protests against this from... from the, or shall we say the conservative, uh, the conservative wing of America, and uh, what they've actually done now, basically, is basically they've taken the meat out of out of the course. Right. That they're still going to teach. They're going to still teach the course, but there's a lot of uh, uh, aspects of the course that they were going to teach uh, that have been removed, and it's very disturbing to me because. The college boards is about education, and it's about learning, and it's about history. History is the most important subject, I think, that, that can ever be taught, because it's only through the, through the teaching of, the, of history, the true history, that we know what we originated from, mm-hmm. what was deficient in our, our growth, and what can be done now to make our country better so that we can learn from these, uh, we can learn from the mistakes that we made. And I think that we have in our country, as I've said this before, a sense of denialism, Mm -hmm. that the things that went on didn't occur. That, you know, you can say, well, you know, uh, 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 this scholar can't teach about a certain part of the of the racial of the racial uh, 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 dynamic in our country, but that doesn't change anything. I think denialism is part of it, but I think a, a certain part of it is is fear that mm. if the kids that are taking these advanced mm. placement courses, these 16, 17 year old kids, start putting themselves in a position where they are understanding at length what our country is and was capable of, uh oh. Then you have kids that are a little more apathetic to this country heading into college. Then you have kids that want to study a little bit more or try to make effect real change or try to, I mean, much like what happened to me who went to the most liberal college in America, right? All of a sudden you see, oh, this isn't land of the free, home of the brave. Like we've been espoused in our public school systems forever and forever. You start learning that, oh, we're a lot different than what we're sold as. And this is, I mean, we're a sinister, malicious country with god-awful history. And they don't want me saying those words, right? Yeah, the yeah. Republican Party would not like a kid like me who did take critical race theory classes to feel that way about their country. And that's, I think, denial isn't part of it, sure, but fear. Fear that we could understand and then want to change and then affect real change, mm-hmm. right? Because if the smartest kids in the country are then understanding what we're capable of, we will no longer want to be capable of it. And I think it's it's as much denialism as, as, as it is fear that the mm-hmm. smartest people in this country will then try to affect real change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I think too I think too it has an economic uh, dimension to it too. Mm-hmm. In other words that if you teach the true history then obviously you want to make things better. better you want right. to remediate the situation Correct. involving whatever programs could be used to do that. Right. But if you don't teach the history then 
You don't need special there's programs. There's no reparations if you never were taught they needed them. Right, and there's there's really no need for diversity. Correct. There's no need for any of these social programs because everybody just basically grew up the same way, even though we know from all objective fact that that was not the case. But it's almost like creating a new history, mm-hmm. that things were good. It's like, what what was that Ben Carson line? That the slaves came here for opportunity right. on the boat. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. but but this this right. This, this is, is what this is what you're dealing with, and uh, that of course is going to tie into something uh, you know Lana can talk about now, and that's the new college. So I, I think we I tried to touch on this two weeks ago, and the situation was still very fluid, and I was very raw and emotional about it. But now, sort of the dust has settled, and it's become a lot more clear about what's going on here. Um, the college I went to, it's called the New College of Florida. Um, I believe the reason I am well spoken, I believe the reason I am successful, I believe the reason I am sitting here talking on this radio program in the way I am today is because I went to that university. Um, is I, I believe wholeheartedly in the education I received and what it taught me and the person it made me. Um, Ron DeSantis is trying to tear that school down. A hostile takeover is the only way to describe it. Um, the school that took a very very poor kid from a single mom and turned her into a lawyer is no longer going to exist, um, and it's it's heartbreaking, right? And unfortunately, New College um, has suffered from a reputation that it maybe doesn't deserve as being sort of this hippy-dippy um, haven for misfits. And that's not necessarily what it is. What it is is a community of a lot of gay people, um, a lot of people that ha- come from different backgrounds, backgrounds like mine where they don't have a ton of money, um, but they're intellectually curious and uh, they want to know more about why they are the way they are, why the way the world works. And um, New College doesn't have grades, so it suffers from this idea that we don't do anything serious academically because we don't have a grading system where you're getting A's and B's. And um, Ron DeSantis has taken this opportunity to take this beautiful university who has created more full, bright scholars per, like, um, you know what, straight up, I think they might have created more full, bright scholarships um, recipients than Harvard or Yale, um, is now making it out to be sort of uh, the woke institution that needs to be shut down. This idea that we have become a haven for critical race theory teachings and uh, a haven for the LGBTQ to spread misinformation and to indoctrinate your kids and these professors are teaching, yada, yada, yada. So that's the sort of... um, rhetoric he's been espousing, and now he has put that rhetoric into real action, and he has put um, almost an entirety of the Board of Governors now um, is made up of, I think, six individuals who are some of the most uh, horrifying people you could possibly imagine as far as what they believe and what they have espoused personally, Chris Rufo being the main, uh, main, uh, we'll say, offender in this case. Um, They have asked, and uh, I I don't know where this sort of is now, but they have asked all faculty, um, all administrative staff to step down. Uh, The president has been removed. Um, This female president who is just a genius and act active in the community and just wonderful and has been spoken of so glowingly, right? She's out. Um, So essentially, the school has been told, um, you're done. There's very little money. It's a school that has, New College of Florida, I think, has 5,000 alumni and probably 800 currently enrolled. Um, There's just not enough money or power there. And so, you know, this institution will likely be taken down on the heels of, it's a little too gay, it's a little too woke, and it likes black people a little too much. Yeah. Well, I was, um, I thought it was... uh a macabre, uh, humorous uh, uh, statement that they made about why they wanted to, to uh, change the university. And the, the three things is um, they, they don't want diversity. 
okay, we're hey, wake up, we're a diverse country. <laughs> right. It's we're not back in the 1840s. We're in the 19. We're in the 2023s when our country is more diverse than it ever has been. Right. And diversity is not an enemy. Diversity should be an ally because it's only through diversity that we pool the energies and talents of all the different people who come here from all the different lands that have made America what it is that can make America even better. So that's the first thing. Then the second thing they were talking about is they want to do away with equity. Well, (laughs) let's look in the dictionary as to what equity means. Equity means two things. It means fairness and impartiality. Fairness and impartiality would mean, as, as regarding our history, is we have a fair view of what we were doing in the past, and we don't we don't hide that. We show it what as to what it is, and we don't have any partiality as to covering up things that people did that were evil. Right. And then the third thing they want to do is remove inclusiveness. Mm-hmm. Well, inclusiveness basically is what makes any education in, in edu- any educational institution really function and succeed is is bringing people together in a community and in a climate where people can work together for common goals and there's there's a there is a kind of almost like a family or community feeling about about that particular institution now I've never been to the new college myself personally but I've you know, spoken to Lana about it but certainly it sounds like a kind of ideal environment for not only promoting people who are scholars in that sense but also people who want to make who want to make positive change to make our society better you know crazy um New College is Florida's designated honors college. So previously, you know, higher ups in the Florida system of university education sort of understood what this college was about and were sort of free to let us do whatever it is we wanted to do. Um, it, it, so this is just so, I mean, it, it it just, it was the perfect target. You've got a bunch of very, identi- I mean, self-identifying liberals um, who are very, very successful. And so how do you hit them in the heart? You've got a bunch of Fulbright scholars, a bunch of doctors. You have to write a thesis to graduate from this university at 20, you know, 21. So I, I just, it was the perfect target. You got a really, a bunch of really diverse, really smart liberal kids. Um, and it, it it's a gut punch and uh, Florida will be worse off for it. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's, let's move on now to... <laughs> A very bleak topic, and that's again this 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 ongoing story of of the murder of Tyree Nichols. And now, in today, in yesterday's paper, uh, in the New York Times, having to do with the uh, dissemination of photos right. taken by officers at the scene right. to people who were not uh, a, a party uh, to this, a right. party to this, or connected to the police department. Uh, but I think I think a lot there's a lot of responsibility needs to also be laid at, at the administration of that particular police department and the idea basically not only in, in Memphis but in other uh, cities across the country that you could create units of of, of people to go into uh, into go into these neighborhoods and basically be left on their own to do whatever they wanted yep. to do without any kind of sanction or restriction. And not expect that, with that being the case, there weren't going to be situations like this. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, concurrent with that was yesterday's article about the number one, the number one uh, cause of unjustified murder or homicide 
uh, involving uh, 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 people who are in the police department are these traffic stops. And right. again and again and again, we see the same sorry tale of somebody being stopped for minor uh, a, a traffic infraction, and it leads to somebody live, being right. yeah, it leads to somebody being killed. So we have to look at that whole we have to look at that whole uh, uh, dynamic, and and just actually, what specifically can we do to change it? And I think I think the time has really come for uh, for the, the federal government to get involved and our Congress to get involved in putting together federal laws that that speak to these problems. Because in this in this particular case, the murder of this man, this was not an isolated case. No, they had been going they had been going into these neighborhoods for for, for a good while of time, and had innumerable complaints against them. Innumerable yep. complaints. Not surprising, uh, but this is not you know that's not an unheard of situation, right? Where they receive numerous complaints or nothing is done about it until someone's dead or until someone's assaulted or until right. right. Right, and of course, you know, concurrently with that is the the situation in New York now, where they had the commission on uh, w- when they were having these demonstrations, uh, you know, uh, concurrent with George Floyd and everything, and 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 the protests uh, was it was it was a, a, a condemning report on the, on the behavior of the police, uh, excessive force, excessive use of pepper spray, uh, hiding their credentials. Right. Not turning on their cameras, and and we need we need to have we what I really think what we need to have is we need to have a special prosecutor a special prosecutor that just deals with these kind of issues. Issue, yep. I don't think the DA's DA can do it anymore no. because they're too tied into the to police the, department. And you need to get somebody. I'm always saying this: you need to get somebody from the outside who's going to come in and have the authority to make change, not to make recommendations to the police department because with the police review boards in New York City particularly, between 90 and 95% of the recommendations for discipline they make are ignored. So you can't depend on that. You have to have somebody to... to, An independent third body. You have to have an independent third body who has the force of law behind them and the power to make not recommendations but actual... Change. I mean, actual, affect real actual discipline. Demo- yeah, demonstrable, tangible discipline. Right. Exactly. exactly. So. For our last topic, we want to spend the last few minutes here. Obviously, the State of the Union happened this week. And, you know, here we are on Thursday. We've had a little more time to reflect about what happened. And, and I think we're we are just floored. Right. I think there's no other way to sort of describe what we saw, the lack of decorum, the sort of lack of respect for positions of, you know, extreme power. Um, it, it was it, it, nothing short of a comedy almost mm-hmm. what we saw. Uh, just to watch our elected officials act like they were at a comedy club in the slums versus, you know, what is the state of the union for one of the most powerful countries in the mm-hmm. world. Absolutely shameful. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. shameful. Yeah. Well, I, I there has been a coarsening of the discourse in our country for a while now. Right. And what's happened, unfortunately, is a bad behavior has been legitimatized. Correct. And in the case of the, the usual suspects <laughs> who are, you know, parading their uh, misbegotten wares. In fur coats. In fur coats. 
was was really was really a, a, a travesty. And we have you have a situation now in the house where you have a man who's the speaker of the house who is who is a complete serf. Right. He has no independence at all. No power really. He has no power really. He's dependent on one or two votes to even remain a speaker. And so his what what he should be saying and 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 what he, how he should be acting uh, has been completely nullified. So he has to sit behind the president and across from the vice president and to, watch. To, to, to watch this. Instead of really what he should have done is say, excuse me, Mr. President, I, I think that the members of my party are acting in a way that's completely disrespectful to you. Right. And I want to apologize to you for their, for their misconduct. But that's not going to happen. And I, I, think, I think President Biden, to his credit, handled it about as well as he could. I, I think under, he handled uh, it phenomenally, quite frankly, the given the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, but I think this is we're going to see over the next two years uh, more and more things like this happening, right. uh, because I think a lot of these people who are uh, uh, aligned with with that part of the Republican Party, they want to bring the whole thing down. I really believe that. I've thought it for a long time. They want to believe. They want to bring our political system down and they can they can do that if they if they're able to primarily by disrupting our financial our financial stability our the the institutional stability of our treasury the institutional stability of the benefits that are paid out to people even through medicare or social security i really believe that well And on that cheery note, we do have to say goodbye to you for the evening. If you do have any questions, comments, or concerns about the show, be sure to email me at wethel1 at unlv.nevada.edu, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our show. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us at wethel1, that's w-e-t-h-e-l-1, at nevada.unlv.edu. Or to contact Professor Charles Stanton, contact him at C-H-A-R-L-E-S, that's charles.stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N, at unlv.edu. See you next time. time.